Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Previously on Cardiac. The Panthers opened the season with a rousing comeback win against the Jaguars. Fires for Pro in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Jake DeLome came off the bench to spark the rally and firmly entrenched himself as the new number one QB. But week two presented its own challenge. A trip to Tampa to face the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. It was one of those games that started with Brinson Buckner's mouth. Fires for Pro in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Big hole down the sideline. He's gone! And the Panthers are going to pull another one out of their head. Dives towards the end zone. Touchdown! Fires over the middle. Is that intercepted? Yes! It is up. It is good! Panthers have won it in overtime. Smith at the 45 to the 40. Six three. It's 20, 10, 5. Touchdown! Yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl, and we're in it. Cardiac. Before the 2003 season even began, Panthers defensive tackle Brenton Buckner boasted that Carolina had a better defensive line than Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers had just won a Super Bowl and did so with a dominating defense anchored by future Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. Pass, and it's picked off, intercepted, it's intercepted at the 40, Derek Brooks all the way, all picked off, Dwight Smith, 25-20, 15-10-5, touchdown, Tampa Bay, there's the dagger. He wrote a check that all of us had to pay for and we knew that game was going to be a war. That's the ball game. Buccaneers win. Buccaneers win. Buccaneers win at San Diego. We are the kings of the world. The Panthers' greatest strength in 2003 was its vaunted defensive line. The unit featured depth, talent, speed, power, and experience. Defensive end Mike Rucker says the ringleader was 10-year vet and potster Brenson Buckner. He was kind of our OG. He was our, our vet. So he was kind of the guy with all the knowledge. I mean, he's, he's a D-line coach now in the NFL, so that kind of tells you what kind of knowledge that he had and he had been around. And so Buck kind of helped us kind of understand the game plan and the scheming part of things. Lining up next to Buckner was a six foot four, 360-pound colossus, Chris Jenkins. And I'm telling you what, at that three technique and at the one technique, he held it down. When it was double-teamed, he, he just was a, a monster down in there. Jinx 
he was just this massive guy that uh, very athletic, but there was no stopping him, especially when he would go straight ahead. And so when you look at that defensive line and, you know, you had speed, you had power, you had guys that would play the run. And in Julius Peppers, the Panthers had a cold fusion of finesse and fury. Peppers came to the Panthers as the number two pick out of North Carolina in the 2002 draft. A reward, if there ever was one, for going 1-15 in 2001. As a rookie, Peppers registered a dozen sacks en route to Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. Well, obviously you really get to see it when you get one-on-one. You had thought that the world stopped turning. When you look at Pep and his big body, but then he's got the speed like a wide receiver. So you don't really know what, you, what you're going to do against him. And so really, if, when he just turns it on, there's, there's really no stopping him on one-on-ones. I mean, he'll bull rush you right back to the quarterback, so you lose that. He'll run right by you on the outside, you lose that. He'll fake you like with the crossover like he's on the basketball court, and then he has you looking silly. So I just remember like it was really like he could really do anything that he wanted to do. Rookie tackle Jordan Gross remembers facing Peppers during Gross's first training camp. That was just a type of human that I didn't really know existed. He inundated me with speed and strength and all the stuff that um, gave him Defensive Rookie of the Year and uh, just really trial by fire right off the bat. Who's stopping Pep? Pep is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's not a dude other than Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor, who's changed the defensive end at that spot, that spot up there where you close up on that left tackle or the right tackle. Pep changed the game. He's a defensive end that gets interceptions more so than linebackers do. That's the dude we had up in the mix. You couldn't block this cat. While Julius Peppers worked as a silent hunter, he saw a different approach from fellow DN to Mike Rucker. I was a young guy with just that would just play. I wouldn't say much. Ruck was the, the veteran that would try to get under God's skin. He was a great guy to be around. He would get fired up. Maybe you can't tell from knowing him off the field, but on the field, he would really get fired up and excited about playing. He was like our our talker. But Jordan Gross found out that Rucker's trash talk had a unique twist. Rucker was a young guy, up-and-comer, you know, just kind of finding his groove. And he really motivated himself by talking trash. And it was always, like, funny because it was super clean, like, G-rated trash talk. Like, man, you stink. You're nothing but a sucker. You know, like there was never a cuss word. And so it was just like, it was funny because it was family-friendly trash talk. Not the same as what Chris Jenkins would say. I chose, you know, coming out of college in late in the year that I, I would stop swearing. It, it was bad. I, I listened to a voicemail. This is back when we had answering machines. And um, yeah, I called a roommate. And, and uh, when I heard it, because I got home, it just it wasn't appealing when I heard that. And so from that point on, I said, um, I, I need to, this needs to change. This isn't good. And so I just went cold turkey. So I haven't said a cuss word since 1997, I think. So how did you talk trash then? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's corny stuff, but in the moment though, I mean, it could be like playing like a divisional rival, like the, the Falcons. I mean, we, we did a lot of trash talk, talking then or, or, or the, uh, the Bucks and it just might be like, you know, I'm getting up in somebody's face, and it might be like, hey, this is the same soup. It's just reheated. You know, just letting them know, like, hey, they've seen this before. We're just reheating it, and they're going to get the same flavor. So it'd be more of that kind of stuff. It, 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 it wasn't crazy. It's probably more goofy than, than anything. But in the moment, it sounded like it was all right. Beyond the starting four, 
The Panthers' D-line also had quality depth. Yeah, you had Al Wallace and Shane Burton that would, that would come in. We called ourselves the six-pack. When you have people that could come in off the bench, two things. One, they have to have the right attitude, right? So if they don't have the right attitude, then that's going to mess up the chemistry. But Al and, and, and Shane had a great attitude. They, they knew where, what their role was. They came in. They were basically starters at times. And so when they would come in, there wasn't, you wouldn't miss a beat. And so that, that was something that was special about Al and Shane is that um, they were selfless. They came in, they did their job, and uh, they got better. For Al Wallace, the Panthers represented his last lifeline as an NFL player. An undrafted free agent out of Maryland, he spent the early part of his career with the Eagles. He signed with the Bears in 2001, but never made it to the regular season. Well, I started the fall on the roster with the Chicago Bears. Suffered a knee injury, was waived, injured. Found myself at home and decided I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach. All the guys that were influential in my life were teachers and coaches. Uh, Ended up getting a job as assistant principal of a high school uh, down in South Florida and got a call in December on a futures contract with the Miami Dolphins and was really struggling with that. I had a year-old daughter had just settled in back at home in Florida and thought my career in the NFL was just over and I had had a good four or five year run and I was satisfied with that got that call made that decision to go with the Dolphins in 2002 a week before training camp Wallace got a call well my agent called he said I got some good news and some bad news right the bad news is you got traded I'm thinking me traded for what like a you know a bag of chips or something like that so I, I get traded and the good news is you're going to Carolina They trade away Jay Williams. They're going to, you know, they just drafted a rookie, Julius Peppers, and they have Mike Rucker. That's it. It's all the guys we know. Got a good chance of going in here. And the best news is that Mike Turgovac, my coach with my best run with the Philadelphia Eagles, was now the defensive line coach. So I got here, and right away, Jack Del Rio, John Fox, Mike Turgovac said, we don't care when you were drafted. We don't care what you were doing three months ago. If you can play, you're going to play, and you're going to be on the team. And I decided that I was going to give it another shot. Wallace didn't care about any Panthers prologue, only that Carolina could prolong his NFL career. I didn't care. Didn't matter to me. I don't even know if I knew the team was 1-15 the year before. I was laser-focused on fulfilling that dream. I know I was a good player. I had a contract on the table. I break my ankle in 1999 in the final preseason game. Andy Reid's the new coach. Well, he has no ties to me. It isn't, I'm not one of his guys, so they ended up cutting me. So I had something left. I felt that the, the journey was still you know, had to be written, and I, I went in with that laser focus that I was going to fight and scrap and do everything I could. And if I was cut, if that was the final straw, then that was it. So I did not know anything about the team. I didn't know where Spartanburg, South Carolina was. I just came in here to see if Al Wallace could make an NFL roster and, and be one of the guys. For Wallace and the Panthers' defensive line, the Week 2 tilt against the Bucks had the buildup of a boxing fight. The Panthers were the brash challenger. The Bucks held the title belt. Mike Rucker remembers the noise. I would rather have my play show than me to go out in, in, in the papers or the media and say it. But that's the thing I love about Buck is that he that's his role. That was his role is to be able to do those things. You know, and they they, they were the measure stick. When you when you win the Super Bowl, you become the standard. And when you look at their defense, That was a good standard to look at, to measure yourself with. 
But if you've been around, like, like say, like a Brenton Buckner, and he's seen talent, and he's like, no, I'll put Jinx up against Sap. You know, for us, you know, it was that initial, like, oh, okay. And they took the bait, and then it was on. So then we had to go down there and back it up. On the game's opening possession, the Bucks drove inside the Panthers' 40, but Carolina's D-line flashed its depth and held Tampa scoreless. First and 10. Again, a short drop by Johnson. Now he's going to have to sprint out to his right. Cuts back left. Shane Burton cut him off. That would be a sack for Carolina, I believe. Johnson under center, and he drops back to throw. Has a lot of time and fires, and it's caught at the 30-yard line and then fumbled on the play. Picked up. No, they're going to call it an incomplete pass. It wouldn't have been a first down anyway. And now the Bucks are going to send uh, Tom Tupa on, and he's their punter. So Carolina's defense out there for 10 plays, but they make the stop. The Panthers led 3-0 midway through the second quarter when the Bucks looked to get even. Romanica will try a 29-yard field goal from the left hash mark. Snap. Kick and block! It's blocked by the Panthers. Jenkins' block kept the Bucks off the board, but Tampa threatened again late in the first half. First down and 10 Tampa at the Carolina 39-yard line. 103 to go, first half. Johnson fakes the swing. It's a screen over the middle, and it's intercepted by Al Wallace. Back for Carolina down the middle of the field, 40. It's a sprint. Can he get away? 20. He's down to the 10-yard line and finally caught. The running back, Pittman, finally chased him down. And the Carolina defense comes up with a huge play. Al Wallace's first career interception led to another John Casey field goal. The Panthers took a 6-0 halftime lead. After both teams traded field goals in the third, Tampa tried to inch closer in the fourth. Waiting for the snap from 47 yards out. A little high. Kick is up. Block! Julius Peppers' blocked field goal kept Tampa at bay once again. But the Panthers' offense failed to gain any traction or provide a cushion, and the Bucks took advantage in the waning seconds of regulation. Second and 10 Tampa from the 18. They stunt up the middle. Johnson pumps, fires, far sideline, caught! Somebody found an opening down along the Panthers' sideline. Out of bounds at the Carolina 39-yard line. Uh, it's third down and 15. 19 seconds on the clock again. Johnson back to pass. Pumps. Fires over the middle. Johnson's got it this time to the six-yard line. 13 seconds. 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Johnson spikes the ball with five seconds. It'll be first down. They'll have time for probably one play. Johnson ready to go for the Bucks. He's back to pass. Looks. Floats it in the end zone. No, he didn't no, stay in bounds. No, out of bounds. No, no. no he they call it a touchdown to Keenan McCardell. I don't believe it. The game is tied. Brad Johnson's touchdown pass to Keenan McCardell tied the game at nine. There was no time left. All Tampa needed was an extra point to effectively seal the win. Prior to the kick, Panthers head coach John Fox called a timeout. It was critical that um, they didn't get that extra point, and um, we, we had a pretty explosive tackle in uh, Chris Jenkins, and special teams, we, we talked about you know getting penetration. Uh, we're going to be able to do that. Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski. And I remember saying to uh, Jim Zoki and Eugene Robinson, I said, I said, we've already blocked two field goals. Can we block an extra point? At the time, 
The Bucks Martine Automatica Grammatica was considered one of the NFL's most reliable kickers and had never missed an extra point. Well, they blocked two field goals, so can they block an extra point? Because we're tied at nine. Grammatica ready, Tupa's the holder. Snap. Kick blocked! It's not blocked! It's a dead ball! Pick it up. Run it! Pick it up! Run it! Oh, you ball. can't run it. Towns is going to lateral the ball and. Oh my goodness, we're still alive. (laughs) And we are not done yet, Bill. We ain't done. They blocked two field goals and an extra point. Go ahead, defense. Don't die, baby. Baby, don't die. An extra point. Now what? How about it? Jenkins' second blocked kick sent the game to overtime, and in OT, special teams delivered again. Good snap. Kick by Tupa. Angles it far side. Hits at the 10. Smith will take it there at the 10. 15. Smith to the 20. 25. Down the sideline. 30. Cuts left. He's at the 40. Smith is still going to midfield. And he's caught from behind at the Tampa 40-yard line. What a big play when you need it. Go ahead, Smitty. Handle it. Handle it, young man. No flags. None. We're tied at 9 in overtime in a dramatic ball game here in Tampa. Sauerbrunn ready. He's got it. Casey into it with the leg. It is up. It is up. It is up. It is good. Panthers have won it in overtime. The Panthers have won it in overtime. John Casey pounds it through. What a marvelous, incredible win. For the Panthers, if a road win against the defending Super Bowl champion didn't send shockwaves through the NFL, it certainly did so in the visiting locker room offensive lineman Kevin Donnelly. That locker room, after just a week two win, you would have thought we won the Super Bowl. I mean, Marty Herney's hugging folks, and John Fox is jumping up and down, guys are dancing, and even guys like John Casey, who's the most unemotional, steady, as you go, guys. I mean, seeing him laugh and and smile and and get all the hugs for kicking that last-minute field goal to give us the win, it it was fun. I mean, that was fun, and I think that's when people started to realize, hey, we might not be a great team. We, we don't know if we'll ever get to be a great team, but daggum, like, don't ever count us out. We're that, we're that team this year. That's who we are, and you take us lightly, we're, we're going to smack you in the face, beat you down, and go find another win the next week. Offensive lineman Jordan Gross. I thought we'd lost because all they had to do is kick a PAT to win the game, you know, with just a, just a short amount of time left, and Chris Jenkins blocks a PAT. I mean, like, that never happens. You know what I mean? Like, so unlikely. Went in the locker room, and that was like two weeks in a row. Man, we we came back and won at home, and now we beat defending Super Bowl champs. And I just remember the belief in ourselves was through the roof at that point because we're thinking, man, if we can beat the Bucks, we can beat anybody. Just one of those games. It was a typical, I would say, Panther game from the, the few years before where there was you know, nothing seemed to be going right, but somehow we were ahead in the fourth quarter. Now, if this is two years before that, we lose the game. While the game was marred by penalties and sloppiness, the Panthers found a way into the win column. And for Jake DeLome, that's all that mattered. It was a rough game, and um, thank goodness for John Casey and our defense and Steve Smith because I didn't have anything, any hand in winning that game, I can promise you. But we were able to win. And I'll never forget in that locker room, it's a small little locker room in Tampa, and we were elated. And, And that's the way John Fox was. He didn't care how it was done. 
as long as you want. And Dan Henning was the same way. You've got so many coordinators that they so worried about stats and what's the completion percentage and what is this and what is that. And I remember sitting in my locker and I was excited, don't get me wrong. And Dan came by and I remember looking at him and I was like, hey, I, need, I know I need to play better. And it was like, F that. We just won. It doesn't matter. And that was Dan's approach. He didn't care. We won the game. And so that was just kind of like, wow, that's a confidence builder for me. The Cardiac Cats were 2-0. They had beaten the defending champs on the road and made good on Brenson Buckner's preseason boast. Buck thought he was a prophet, but we just thought he had a big mouth and he got us all in trouble there, kind of spurring on Warren Sapp, who needed none of that, by the way. Everybody had counted us out. We had taken down the world champs, the defending champs on their field. And at that point, we felt like we were now the best defensive line, maybe the best defense in the NFL. A bye week awaited. But the Panthers had already bottled up their signature cocktail, a concoction of resilience, perseverance, and belief. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.